It's time now for the complete story with Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Dick Bott with today's complete story. Well, isn't it interesting, Rich, with all of the fast lightning speed that things have been happening the last several months? By the way, you can probably tell I have a cold, but but I can... I can uh, I can get a pass because I'm an old man, okay? Okay, I'll give you a pass. <laughs> but anyway, here we are now with all of this happening, and then bingo, we are right there at Thanksgiving. Isn't that something? We have so much for which to be thankful. Well, you know, I think we always do, uh, but I think probably especially this year. Well, anyway, I thought for, for this season, this time of the year, the next couple of days, Thanksgiving, who would better to be talked to? And David Barton, I don't think that name is unfamiliar with any of our listeners. David Barton, America's Christian historian. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, uh, all the way, are you in Texas right now, David? Uh, actually, I am. Yes, sir. I'm in Texas. One of the rare times I'm at home. All right. Well, listen, I think I'd like to ask you, first of all, I, I've seen you speak and read your books and uh, seen you on television so many times. But the last time I saw you that opened a whole new page was in Wichita, Kansas, when you presented some material I had never seen before, never known before, to a, a group of black ministers that had gathered together, wonderful Christian people, and, uh, and in your presentation and things that you brought. But that isn't the subject of today's uh, program, but it will work it in. Tell us what's on your mind this Thanksgiving season. You know, one of the things that has really struck me about Thanksgiving is something I was reading in the writings of one of the founding fathers, Benjamin Rush, who was assigned to the Declaration. Uh, John Adams said he's one of our three most notable founders of all our founders, and we never hear about him in school today, but he is a very strong evangelical Christian. Um, He started the first Bible Society, he started the Sunday School Movement, just a, a really good guy. And we have a lot of his handwritten documents. We we own literally about 100,000 documents from before 1812, and so we have thousands of, of Thanksgiving proclamations issued by uh, the government calling us at times of Thanksgiving like we're going to do for Thanksgiving. But he was in his journals. We have a, a lot of his journals, his prayer journals, and in his, in his prayer journals he was doing what we all should do, and that was being very thankful to God. He was going through and enlisting blessings that he had and thanking God for blessings, and he listed one that just made me stop reading, and I kind of put it down and thought about it. But he said, I thank God for all the times I have not fallen downstairs. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, started thinking about it. But, you know, think of all the times we've gone up and down stairs and never fallen, and we don't think about it. It's like when you go driving your car. If you don't have a wreck, you don't notice that. Now, if you have a wreck, you notice and it, it struck me that some of the greatest blessings we have are things we take for granted and never even notice until they're gone, yeah. and like falling downstairs. Or, or let's say loved ones. Mm-hmm. Or, or loved ones, exactly right. Exactly right. You, you get loved ones. Um, I mean, think about what is, we thank God for the blessing of a good family, but it's different if you lose that family. We thank God for the blessings of health, and, and we're great for that, but if, when you lose it, you're really cognizant of what you had, and it's kind of like, yeah, I was grateful, but, man, you really get grateful. And so family, and even country, I mean, my gosh, who else has been under the same governing document for 240 years? We take that for granted. The average constitution in the world lasts 17 years. 
Isn't America it? should have been through 15 different constitutions thus far. We still got our first one. That, that's a blessing, and we don't even think about that. We just assume it's always going to be that way. So that's really what struck me about Thanksgiving this year was trying to identify and, and think about the things that I really never thank God for because I just take them for granted. And I thought that was a great lesson from a founding father. Yeah. I heard uh, Judge Charles Pickering speak one time at a small group. Uh, it was the Arlington group. you remember that? I do remember but, the Arlington group. Yeah, but anyway, uh, Judge Pickering, because I've always been a person who wants my guy on the Supreme Court. You know, I want to join with the people who uh, who will want my fellow, my, my uh, jurist on the Supreme Court. And Charles Pickering, Judge Pickering, said that's a wrong way to think. He said, we want someone who will adhere to the Constitution, to the founding document, and be faithful to that as it is written. And then we have the opportunity to amend it if we care to as a people. And, and it really made me stop and think a thought that I had never known before. Yeah, and that, you know, it's a great way of saying it. And just the way he said that reminds me of something that happened in the Civil War, uh, where Abraham Lincoln was in the White House. There were a number of ministers present. And as he was walking down the hall and there were all these ministers talking, he heard one of the ministers say, he said, I sure hope that God's on the Union side in the Civil War. And he stopped at that point. Lincoln turned and went around back to him and said, sir, that's not my concern at all. It's my concern that we in this nation be on God's side in the Civil War. And I thought, you know, that's a great way to look at it. And that's what Judge Pickering was saying, is that we don't want our guy on the court. We want the guy on the court that will uphold the Constitution, uphold the standards that we have. And that's what Lincoln was saying is, look, I don't, I don't want God to be on the Union side. I want the Union to be on God's side. And that's a great way of looking at it, exactly the way that Judge Pickering expressed it, is if you get someone who upholds the law, someone who upholds the governing documents, someone who upholds the oath that they've taken, then it's easy for the rest of us to line up and get behind that because that's the right standard. That's a, that's a great thing to bring out from the Arlington Group. Yeah. Tell me, uh, and I want Rich to get in here too, but tell me uh, from your opinion, by the way, folks, we're talking, we're talking with David Barton. I don't know where we could go to get more information from somebody who has just specialized in this for so long. Tell me now, in your opinion, what has happened in the last uh, six, eight, ten months? Um, the, there's been a real interesting shift in the nation, um, and it reminds me of what happens in a historical revival. Tell me, tell me this, if I can um, butt in here for a minute, but is it Democrat or Republican, or is it something else? I think it's something else. Um, it was very interesting to me, even in this most recent election, the number one issue in the election was that 48% of voters said they wanted a more conservative nation. Now, that's striking, because only 32% of the nation identifies as conservative. The 48% said we want a more conservative nation, more traditional. We want to go back to more traditional type of things. And when you get 48% with one issue in the election, that's a massive statement. And so I'm looking and saying, you know, that's that's good news for the culture of the nation. That's good news for the direction of the nation. Um, the other things that have really stood out to me is, as with a revival, the church is kind of getting left behind, but God's people are not. Uh, if you go back to what happened in, in the First Great Awakening, the, the revival, George Woodfield, all those guys, they happened outside the church setting. The church is what resisted the revival. All the people oh. Woodfield, you can't do this. You, 
And the people said, well, we're going to give 100,000 people at a meeting for Whitfield. Now, we don't ever show up for church like that, but we will for Whitfield. And so I, I look at the fact that we had such a high turnout of evangelicals in an election, and yet church leaders were very much unengaged in this election. It's like the people went around the church and said, look, we're going to stand up and do the right thing with the nation. We want to get back to some traditional values here. But the pastors were refusing to lead. And mm. I look at that and say, you know, that's that's really a healthy thing. Not that not that the church is irrelevant. I'm really sad for the pastors about that. that they've chosen to be irrelevant, or many of them have. Many of them stepped up. But I think it's healthy that people are starting to stand up and say, you know, we, we want some stuff here. And before the election, I um, worked with George Barnum. We actually did a, a poll on if you're an active church member, what is it that you want to hear at church? What, what do you want to be taught by your pastor? And, guys, there were 14 issues where the 70% or more of churchgoers said, we want to hear this from the pulpit. And you look at them, and the number one issue was abortion, and from abortion it went to religious persecution across the world, and it went to Israel, and it had Islam, and it had, we want to hear about Christian heritage, we want to hear about bioethics. There were 14 cultural issues where 70% or more of churchgoers said, we want to hear this out of the pulpit. And I, Man, that's healthy. They want the Bible to apply to every aspect of life. And well, you know, just what generation? Yeah, just what you said there. Every aspect of life, because it's not politics, it's not controversy. It's in the Bible, and the Bible speaks to every aspect of life. It, well, you know, that's one of the interesting things about elections. Is in this election, um, we asked, uh, working with George Barnum, call between five and six hundred churches every day. And we asked those churches certain questions, and there's 344,000 churches in America. And what we have right now is there's 28% of churches in America that believe the Bible, believe basic Bible teachings. So that's 100,000 churches that, that believe the Bible, and that's really good. And so with those pastors, we went back to those pastors and, and asked questions that said, do you, do you think the Bible applies to every aspect of life? And Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then we asked specific questions. Do you think the Bible does the Bible talk about education? Does it talk about economics? Uh, does it talk about the military? Does the Bible talk about immigration? Uh, does it talk about taxation? Does it talk about marriage? Does it talk about sexuality, abortion? And so, in about twenty issues, somewhere between ninety-one and ninety-seven percent of those pastors said absolutely the Bible talks to that. Here's the key. Then asked. Are you going to talk about any of these issues this year, any time leading to the election? Ninety percent of the Bible-believing pastors said, absolutely not. I will not touch those issues. Wait a minute. You just said those are Bible issues. The Bible talks to them, and you're not going to talk about it? So while so much of the pastors have checked out, the people in the pews, on the other hand, are begging to hear this stuff. It's like, again, 14, 14 categories where the 70 percent or more of churchgoers said, we want to hear this. The churchgoers realize the Bible's relevant to life. They want to hear about it, but yet the pastors are saying, well, that's political stuff, and we don't talk about political. No, it's mm-hmm. Bible stuff. We talk about Bible stuff. Mm-hmm. What if the pastor says that's controversy, and we don't want to talk about that? Well, you know, then they need not to read the entire New Testament, because all Jesus did was stir up controversy. You know, he said from the beginning, hey, I came to sit a father against his daughters and a mother against her daughters. I came to sit one against the other. Um, and Matthew 13, the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, don't you know that what you said offended everybody? And he said, look, it's the truth. They're going to get it now, or they're going to have to face it later. You just speak the truth, 
And then in John 6, he turned to the disciples and said, well, the, the crowds of thousands have now left me. They found my teachings too hard. Are you going to leave me too? And they said, no, we'll stay with you. Where else do we go for the bread of life? I mean, Jesus' ministry was filled with offending people and with chasing people off and with losing crowd after crowd after crowd. And for us to think that it would be otherwise is is nuts. All Jesus did was speak the truth. He wasn't concerned about the numbers. Yeah, I mean, tell, tell me something. Only twelve guys. Tell me something. Let's say it's not election time. There isn't an election in sight. Of course, there usually is the school board or the mayor yeah. or something like that. But let's assume there isn't an election coming up. Don't you think the people still need to know what the Bible says about gender identity, about marriage, about education? And all of these things, the how, sanctity to, how, of life. how to raise children, the sanctity of life, my word, my word, the people need to, need to hear what the Bible says about the life of a human being, unborn or born. And so these are all subjects that the people should be well informed about and know that it's in the Bible and therefore a part of their Christian faith. You know, one of the things that people fail to recognize is that government takes place 24-7-365. It is not just every other November when we have an election. Uh, government runs in two cycles. One year is your politics cycle, where you work on getting elected, and the next year is your policy cycle, where you work on implementing the things for which you were elected. And so there never is a time where government is not actively at work. Now, sometimes it's going to be presidential elections or governor's elections or Senate but in the other times, it's going to be school boards saying, hey, we, we only want everybody to go to one locker room. Everybody should share one. It's not a political season, but that's a political issue because it's policy. So there's never a time when Congress or a school board or a mayor or someone is not enacting policy, which means there's never a time when, as Christians, we check out and say, oh, we, we talk about marriage every two years at election cycle. No way. I mean, the courts are dealing with it all the time. This is part of developing a biblical worldview as you learn to think about what the Bible says about every issue every time it comes up. And so it's not just a every two-year cycle, which is where pastors get it wrong. Uh, if, if you look back even in, into when God created Israel, he gave them, he, he said, guys, you've been slaves for 400 years. You don't have a clue how to run a nation. Let me help you. And he gave them 613 laws. He created the most successful nation in history. And he dealt with everything. I mean, he dealt with taxation. He, he dealt with education. He dealt with everything. So anything you need to know about how to run a country, God's already addressed because he took a bunch of slaves and made them one of the greatest nations in the world. So there's never a time when you don't live by those standards. I mean, they didn't have elections every two years back in the Bible. They had them whenever they happened. But for us to think that, well, every two years I'll talk about marriage or I'll talk about gender identity, or I'll talk about... No, 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 no. That's something you face every single day, especially in this culture. The Bible addresses it, and we ought to be addressing it, too. That's that's biblical worldview. Yeah. In the subject of education, well, now we have the school board, you know, with every district, then you have the state board of education, and on and on and on, and you get the principals involved. Now, right here at Christmas time, uh, in the Midwest, in a very nice community, very nice town, nice suburban community, I understood from a friend the other day that the principal of that school is is once again this Christmas not going to allow it Christmas to be acknowledged it will be happy holidays and all that kind of stuff and Easter will just be spring break and all of that if the people 
of the district feel differently, why don't they say something? Because Christmas is Christmas, and Easter is Easter, and Good Friday is what it is. Talk to that. You know, national polling right now shows that over 90% of the nation wants to hear Merry Christmas Mm -hmm. rather than Happy Holidays. So what you've got is a school district that's doing what school districts have done for the last 20 years, and that is they would rather make the 2% happy than the 98% happy. Well, don't you think they're just trying to tinker with the mind and the heart of our children? Oh, I know they are. There's, there's no question. There's no question that you don't have to go very far on any type of media search, uh, any type of Google search or Bing or Yahoo or whatever you use. Use any web browser, and you will instantly find groups that pop up say, here's what you can legally do in a school district at Christmas. And you can have Christmas carols. The kids can say Merry Christmas to each other. You can have red and green colors. And so you have superintendents that persist. And, and see, here's, here's where I think that the, the church has, has failed in many areas, because the church used to be the, the greatest influence in a community. Now, what they do now is they're not much of an influence anywhere except inside the four walls of their church, and not always an influence there. But give you an example. Back about five months ago when the president came out and said, hey, every school district in America that gets federal funding, you're going to have one bathroom and one locker room. No genders. We're going to do all this. And so across the country, people started saying no. And so there's a town, you guys have got a station in that town. It's a town of 40,000 people. That little town of 40,000 people, a Christian lady stood up in that town and said, I'm running for school board. We're not going to do this in my town. And she got elected to the school board. Now, here's the deal. She got elected with a total of 35 votes. That's all the votes that were cast in the election. 35 votes got her elected, goes in and stops this crazy policy. We look at, at school board elections as if they're presidential elections. Well, I don't have that much money, and we can't affect it. A Sunday school class can win a, a seat on the school board if they just go out and vote. And that's the, that's the thing that's gotten away from us. You know, there was a, a town in Iowa where a guy, same thing, I'm running for the school board. We're not going to have this nonsense here. And on that election day, in a school, a school board election, he forgot. He, did, he got so busy he didn't vote for himself. Now, you, you think you know the end of the story, but that's not it. He didn't lose by one vote. It was that in the school board election, not a single person voted that day in the entire school board election. Had he voted for himself, he would be the entire school board. He would be the president of the school board. It is, it is so easy to change these policies at the local level. And that's where churches used to say, wait a minute, we're not going to let a principal in our town say that you can't have, say, Christmas. And so we go to the school board and say, guys, get your principal under control, or maybe we just have school board elections to replace all you guys, because that's not community values that this community believes in. And if the church would start stepping up and doing that again, community by community, it is so easy to take city councils and mayor race. I mean, you take the city of Houston. The city of Houston has a population larger than 26 separate states in the United States. So if you're the mayor of Houston, you're essentially the governor of 26 states in in the nation. The mayor of Houston was elected with 2% of the population. Imagine that 2% elected the governor of what is the equivalent of 26 states. It is so easy to turn that if the church will, and that's one of the things we should. And by the way, this takes us back to Thanksgiving as well because it was the pilgrims who first started the thing of having annual elections. They elected all their civic leaders, they elected all all their leaders at every level, and they did it every year to make sure that the community reflected the values of of the pilgrims who had come. And that was a great way to be involved, and you had 100% voter turnout, and everybody got involved, and the the values were kept there. And, And Dick, you mentioned earlier, 
being in that Wichita meeting. Here's something else that people don't know, because that Wichita meeting, we did a lot of black history that nobody ever gets anymore. Uh, Woodrow Wilson in 1902 took most of the black history that we used to get out of textbooks. He was a hardcore racist, and since then we all think black history starts with Martin Luther King, and it doesn't. But the first load of slaves that came to America came to Jamestown, Virginia, 1619. The second load of slaves that came to America came to the Pilgrims. And the Pilgrims promptly freed all the slaves and imprisoned all the slave owners. And they said, you know, the Bible says in, in Acts 17, we're all of one blood. And we're told in Revelation 7 that there's all nations, all people, all tribes, all languages casting down their thrones around the ground. The Pilgrims said, it looks to us like there's only two races, those that know God and those that don't know God. And that's why in Massachusetts there never was a time when blacks could not vote. Because that biblical equality, that all men are created equal, it came right out of those pilgrims. So at Thanksgiving, man, we have so much more to be thankful for, including local elections, including racial diversity that says, hey, we're all of one blood. All, all that God cares about is do you know him? He doesn't care what your race is. I mean, there's so many good things that came from Thanksgiving that we just don't even get to study today. Woodrow Wilson, you see, I, I remember that in that Wichita meeting. I didn't know that before, but Woodrow Wilson was a racist, and he said, I want all of these important things erased from American history and so on and so on and so on. And, uh, and, and he was a progressive, uh, too. Uh, what, what do we call that, history revisionism or something like that? Now, the truth is, all the way through the Jim Crow days, the days of slavery and everything else, there was a lot of of trying to get on top of somebody else, step on their neck. There was a lot of money being made. There was a lot of self and selfish uh, coming into it. And then all of that was done with a lot of churches that were not really stepping up to the plate. But there were some churches that were. And there's always that division, isn't there? Yeah, there always is. And, and it's interesting that if you read about any revival, one thing that characterizes the revival is the church turns on itself, hmm. which is good because it helps it helps separate the wheat from the chaff. I mean, if you look at George Whitfield in the First Great Awakening, you're not going to find secular people attacking him. What you will find is ministers across America attacking and writing pamphlets and telling their people not to go listen to Whitfield. Stay away from that religious guy. He's not one of us. And they got into this turf consciousness that he's, he's not of our group or our denomination. It was so bad that pastors would tell their parishioners to go to Whitfield's meetings and stand in the trees above him and pee on him and defecate on him. That's pastors telling their Christian followers to do that to George Whitfield. That's a matter of historical record? <laughs> Sounds like moveon.org. That's a matter of historical record. And that's the same thing happened in the Second Great Awakening when you had Lorenzo Down, Charles mm -hmm. Finney, and these, these are the guys who got out there, and they were for abolition, they were against slavery and for equal rights. And all the other pastors said, oh, no, you can't be involved in those kind of issues. That's wrong. Well, that's what a revival always does, is it separates the wheat from the chaff inside the church, not outside, inside. And it exposes those guys inside the church that refuse to take God's principles into the public arena, because that's what a revival does, is it shows you how practical God's Word is. And that's what George Whitfield did. That's what Finney did, all these guys. And so that's why I, I really am encouraged with what I'm seeing happening right now. Oh, yes. Uh, because there's, 
you know, the church is kind of separating the wheat from the chaff itself, and it's separating out those preachers who really believe something and those who really don't. Our guest today on The Complete Story is David Barton of Wall Builders, uh, whose own broadcast you get to hear here on Bot Radio Network. But David, I look at this election, and one of the things that I am so thankful for is I believe God heard our prayers, and we have been granted a reprieve. And now it's up to us. If our religious liberties are going to be protected, that means the door is still open for the proclamation of the gospel and for us to advance the cause of the kingdom and for uh, revival to take place. I've heard that every major revival is preceded by a movement of prayer. And that's why I was so excited to see Franklin Graham go to all 50 of the state capitals and thousands of believers come out and pray with him. And then there were prayer movements on the National Mall and other places this past year. And so I think God heard our prayers, answered our prayers. There's going to be a reprieve for religious liberty. Now's the time for us to continue to pray, roll up our sleeves, work for revival, a great awakening style of revival. And take Take uh, an interest in the community and things such as the ones we're talking about. Be the salt and the light. Go ahead, David. Well, you know, you, you hit several key points that have been characteristic historically. I'll go back to John Hancock. John Hancock, as governor of Massachusetts, called his state to prayer on 22 occasions. I mean, he was all into prayer. He even ha- We have proclamations for him where he's calling on the state of Massachusetts to pray and fast that if anyone in the state does not know Christ, that they'll come to know Christ. Now, that's the governor of the state doing, doing that kind of prayer call. But John Hancock also said, and I love this quote, he says, I urge you, by all that's honorable, by all that's dear, by all that is holy, not only that you pray, but also that you act. And it was faith that that works is dead. The prayer movement is absolutely key, it's essential. But it's not going to be just prayer that changes things. You you have to have the prayer to, to till the ground, to follow the earth, to get it ready. And then somebody's got to step in and do the hard work that goes as part of, of the planting and the sowing and the watering and the harvesting, etc. Because and God God works through people. That's why the God first works, word right. of the Great Commission is go. That's right. That's right. And that is exactly it. And it's fun to see people starting to step up. You know, this is the highest ever evangelical voter turnout in an election. Now, that that's people stepping up. We haven't seen that level of activity before, uh, and that's good, because you're right. We were preceded by all this prayer. What Franklin Graham did was unbelievable, all 50 state capitals. And then look at the activity that came with that prayer. And look at, you know, somebody said, hey, we dodged a bullet this last election. Well, I don't agree with that. We didn't dodge a bullet. We dodged a nuclear explosion is what we dodged. And that's the graciousness of God, because I, the, the opportunity now to, you know, going back to what you said, of putting judges on the court that actually read the Constitution, uphold it, like like Judge Pickering talked about, we didn't have that opportunity until right now. But now we've got that opportunity. And that's because people did act. They prayed, but they acted. And, and that's the other fun part about a revival, is you will see a rise in activity, a rise in prayer. You see, America, and I don't think most people recognize this, try this for starting the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening was preceded by a prayer meeting that lasted for 100 years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. For Count Sinsendorf started that prayer meeting. It went for 100 years, 
And that's what led to the, the, so many of the preachers in the First Great Awakening showing up, was this 100-year prayer meeting. David Barton, that's great. Yeah, we are into the Christmas season, too. What book, what book have you written that you would recommend people acquire and give as Christmas gifts? I mean, your education on all of these things is more important than ever, and Christmas is a good time to start the new year right. What, books, what book or books would you recommend? Well, if you want to see the religious heritage of the nation, I would send people to Original Intent, and it shows this combination of, of faith, uh, how prayer and action work together, and how it's worked together for three centuries in America. So that's a good book, is Original Intent. The other one that would be even more specific and more practical is probably called the Founder's Bible, uh, where that it takes uh, the issue of, of Thanksgiving or of Christmas, or you, know, you just take an issue— and it shows you historically how that was dealt with in previous generations from a biblical viewpoint. So those would probably be the two books that would be great Christmas gifts. I've seen you speak in churches. I've seen you speak at conferences. Uh, how could people get a hold of you if they'd like to look into that? Uh, if they go to our website, wallbuilders.com, there's a tab there for scheduling, and they can just grab that tab, and they'll give them all they need to know about how to get us there. David Barton, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for you. How did you happen in maybe 30 seconds here? How did you happen to get so interested in this and then take years to accumulate the information and the documentation that you have? You know, it's a, it is a God story because I grew up hating four things. I hated and I avoided history, politics, law, and government. I stayed out of all four arenas. And about 30 years ago, I came across some original documents, founding father documents, that I had been taught about in school. But when I read them myself, they were opposite to what my school books had taught me. And so I'm faced with this thing of, do I believe what I read with my own eyes, or do I believe what I've been taught? And that's where we started collecting those 100,000 documents we still collect today. Uh, truth is the most important element. And so that's gotten me involved in politics and law and history and government is simply pursuing truth that changed my worldview in a massive way. All right. This is Dick Bott with this chapter of The Complete Story as a public service, and I'll see you later.